If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Elevation with Stephen Furtick podcast was created with you in mind. This is a podcast for those feeling discouraged or needing guidance from God. Together in this podcast, we'll dive deep into scripture, uncover the powerful truths that will help you rise above your limitations and embrace your full potential. We're here to equip you with the tools you need to conquer life's challenges. Listen to Elevation with Stephen Furtick every Sunday and Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Speaking of pretty good cases, here's a guy who knows one, Tim the Lawyer Sandifer. Tim's the vice president for litigation for the Goldwater Institute, longtime friend of the Armstrong and Getty Show, and uh, one of the great explainers of the complex that we have ever run into. Tim, how are you, sir? I'm great. How are you guys? Good. Who do you like in the uh, Bengals-Rams matchup? I heard there was some football game yesterday. There were yeah. several. <laughs> you're, you're famously, uh, for our listeners, not a sports fan, but you do, uh, you do have the same sentiments about the Olympics, that it's crazy that it's happening, I know. It's it's crazy and it's it's immoral that uh, that the United States would would have anything to do with an an institution that has become a favorite playground for totalitarian dictatorships. Yeah, I would agree. I would agree. So uh, there was news last week about a significant Second Amendment decision. I will let you lay it out because you can do it better than me. Um, and then if you're not a big fan of litigation, you might be interested to hear that one of the judges laid a verbal whooping down on on the court as a whole. At least that's the way I read it. But, uh, Tim, what are the basics first? Yeah, that's right. That that was really spectacular. So this is a case uh, from California. Uh, it was decided by the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals on the question of whether the COVID shutdowns of gun stores violated the Second Amendment. So the uh, Ventura County. Yes, it did. Uh, is there any other discussion? Or <laughs> yeah, that, and that is what the what the court says. Uh, remarkably enough, so the, the Ventura County imposed these these shutdowns of various businesses, and it, it, it they were kind of discriminatory. They allowed, for example, bike stores to remain open, but wow. then shut down but shut down gun stores. Now I'll I'll add a footnote here to say that the Arizona constant or the Arizona law is different from California in this, in that Arizona law expressly forbids the shutting down of a gun store under circumstances like this, because we take our our, uh, Second Amendment rights very seriously in my home state. But in California, they don't. And so uh, the question that the court addressed was whether that violated the Second Amendment. The court said yes. But what was really remarkable was that one of the judges, Judge Van Dyke, wrote a separate opinion where he said, look, I expect that I'm going to be overruled on this by my other uh, fellow judges on the Ninth Circuit. 
And here's what they're going to say, and here's why it's wrong. And it's really quite quite a, 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 an angry, sarcastic opinion. Ooh, wait a minute. Uh, angry sarcasm. Now <laughs> You're working my side of the street. Uh, can you give us uh, some of the basics of what he said to his brethren? So what happens is when the, when the Court of Appeals decides a case, it's three judges who hear an appeal and they decide that appeal. And then if, you're one of, if you lost that appeal, you can ask for what they call on-bank rehearing, which is where all of the judges on the circuit will review the case and hear it all over again and correct the three-judge panel if they think they were wrong. And so what Judge Van Dyke said is, I expect that that's what's going to happen to me because I've enforced the Second Amendment, and I know that my fellow judges in the Ninth Circuit don't take the Second Amendment seriously, so I expect that they're going to overrule me. And here's what they're going to say. And he wrote a fake opinion uh, that was like a draft of what he expects they will say when they overrule him. And the reason he did that was to show that the Ninth Circuit's precedent when it comes to the Second Amendment, is so vague, so meaningless, so malleable, that it can basically come up with any conclusion you want, and so that the odds are stacked against people who want to exercise their constitutional right to defend themselves. So he wrote this fake opinion. He said, here's what they're going to say, and then he added footnotes in the opinion that says, so, he, you know, these, the, we use these words as if they say mean something, but they actually don't. We're just making this stuff up as we go along. And it, it's written in this very sarcastic tone that is, is quite refreshing for those of us who agree with him that the Ninth Circuit does not take Second Amendment rights seriously. Well, my understanding of his blast was saying that the Ninth Circuit decides case by case, hmm, in this case, the Second Amendment is okay. In this case, I don't like it, and it doesn't yield the result I would like. And so, no, no, you don't get the results in this case. Treating it like it's not a constitutional right at all, but like, I don't know, watching football. It's a hobby. That's a <laughs> yeah. So for here's a good example. So he goes through in his fake opinion that he expects his just his, his fellow judges to issue. He he lists uh, the history of the we consult the history of the amendment and then he adds a footnote. He says in the footnote, here's the deal. Whenever we think the history helps us in upholding the challenge regulation of gun rights, we're happy to rely on it in step one of our test. But most of the time, either the history doesn't help us to uphold the gun regulation, or it's indeterminate, or it's just hard to evaluate. So we usually skip over this step of our test by assuming that the regulation burdens Second Amendment conduct, but that's okay because the real beauty of our test is it's amazing flexibility at the various stages in balancing the government's asserted interest against the claimed impact on the Second Amendment. So, in other words, although we we often say that we care about history, the reality is that we only use the history when it allows us to take away your gun rights, and then if not, we ignore it. Which wow. is true. He's just not not usually supposed to say that in public. Is the thing. <laughs> how how long were the gun stores actually closed? Uh, it was a couple. It was several weeks, if I remember right. Yeah, but I, yeah, I think it was exactly. forty eight days. Yeah, that's incredible. Yeah. So on and, and during a time when we know that not only was COVID going on, but violent riots in major cities across the United States. Yeah. Gosh, maybe people would want to have a firearm to defend themselves, but no, we can't allow that. The, yeah, that we we're talking about that last week. That's what's even makes it so much more outlandish is at a time where crime is spiking and it's one of the top issues in America, and there were riots everywhere, and your local Target was being looted. Coincident with the authorities making it clear we are not going to intercede in this violence. Yeah, while defunding the police, they closed gun stores. That's amazing. And as the as the uh, as the saying has it, when the cops are minutes or when seconds count, the cops are minutes away. It's Indeed. amazing a number of places in the country where uh, 
you know, either churches were closed, violating the First Amendment, or gun stores were closed, violating the Second Amendment, and uh, overturned by courts eventually, I think but, in almost every case. But you could case. eat ice cream until you were in a coma. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah for whatever reason. Ice cream shut Tim Sandifer, the vice president for litigation for the Goldwater Institute, is on the line. It's almost hard to understand you because you're so hoarse from cheering your hometown Rams to victory over the weekend. <laughs> I, I was really excited. Uh, you know, I just can't sleep unless I know what group threw what ball through what apparatus. <laughs> <laughs> well said. So <clears throat> as long as we are honored with your presence today, Tim, what else are you guys working on at the Goldwater Institute that might be of interest to the peeps? We are waiting for the Supreme Court to decide whether to take uh, a major challenge to the Indian Child Welfare Act. This is a law I've talked on your show about a, a number of times, a federal law that essentially bars states from protecting abused and neglected children if those children are eligible for membership in an Indian tribe. So a white or a black or a Hispanic child who's being abused or neglected, the state can come in and and rescue that child from the abusive family. But if the child is biologically eligible for a membership in an Indian tribe, the state basically can't do that. And federal law basically prohibits them from being adopted by adults of other races. It's a really scandalous and disgraceful law that imposes literal separate but equal on really these on Indian children who are the most at risk demographic in the United States. So the Supreme Court has been asked to take up whether that's constitutional or not, and they keep postponing that decision. So (laughs) I was hoping that this morning they would announce whether they were going to hear that case, and it turns out we'll have to wait at least another week. But that's what we're really keeping an eye on. Yeah, that's a good one, and keep us updated on that. Is it a big deal that the Supreme Court announced today that they're going to take up the case on uh, racial preferences for universities, and and will that uh, get into the whole affirmative action thing in general? Absolutely. That is a huge deal. Uh, you know, the, uh, that's the lawsuit against Harvard, which has been excluding Asians in order to promote other races. And that case has been you know, rejected by the lower courts. But I think the Supreme Court is going to take that a lot more seriously. Another case that was that the Supreme Court announced today that it will take is a case that's being litigated by our friends at the Pacific Legal Foundation, which is called Sackett versus Environmental Protection Agency. Now, what's really amazing is this case is more than a decade old. The Supreme Court has already decided one aspect of this case 10 years ago and now it's back again and this case involves the the federal government's uh, authority to regulate what they call wetlands that's the clean water act which allows the federal government to regulate not just water but land that occasionally gets wet and the, in this case, these property owners tried to build a house on perfectly dry land that the federal government said was uh, a wetland. And the first time around, they just wanted to get a hearing in court. The Supreme Court said, yes, you get a hearing in court. And now they're back again at the conclusion of that hearing to ask whether, what limits are there on the federal government's power to regulate land that it claims is a wetland. Yeah, I know that that I remember that case vividly and and some of the particulars of it were enough to make you insane these poor people. It's a, it's a lot in a cult, uh, in a, a, a subdivision erroneously That's described right. as a wetland and they just there was nobody to talk to, to so they just kept finding them and finding them. And federal federal power under federal environmental laws, it, people think of it as like protecting the animals and Bambi and, and all this sort of thing. But what federal power under the environmental laws really is, is basically federal zoning. 
It basically allows federal bureaucrats in Washington, D.C. to decide what gets built in what neighborhood when, as long as they can come up with some vague notion of federal authority. And their vague notion is, well, this land is a wetland. What is a wetland? It's basically whatever the federal government says it is. Or when it comes to the environment, the, uh, the, the Endangered Species Act, if there's an endangered bug or an endangered fern on your property, now it falls under federal authority and federal bureaucrats get to decide basically at will what you are and aren't allowed to do with that property. It's something the Constitution does not contemplate at all, and yet that's basically the law that we live under today. Hey, uh, a general question, and you know, if you want to take a pass on it, you can, because I don't want to get you in any sort of trouble. But and now, now, take a pass. That's a football reference, right? <laughs> nah, generally you throw one. You don't take oh, one. I but that's uh, yeah, close. Yeah, you have expressed that the only thing... <laughs> that Throwing bothered, a ball through an apparatus. The only thing that bothers you at all about the fact that you don't follow sports at all is you miss out on some references that are regularly used, you know, in court, for instance, yes, which I can understand. So, again, I'm trying to remember the name, and it's out of my head right now. Uh, A libertarian guy with Cato, I think, wrote a column recently on how originally, even as a libertarian, he thought the government was fine getting involved in all kinds of things that he usually didn't like because of the unique circumstance of the COVID pandemic. But in retrospect, he looks back on it and thinks, nah, we'd have been better off if they hadn't in the long run, uh, where are you on it? Because I know in the beginning you were you were also making the argument as a guy who doesn't like a lot of government control that this is a unique situation. Do you think maybe the, the, the where we've ended up? Do you well, feel any differently no, I now? I, I, I don't, but remember that, that I have a different situation than a lot of people because I live in Arizona. We didn't have a big statewide shutdown in Arizona like a lot of other states did. I thought shutdowns were a bad idea to begin with. But other kinds of regulations, restri- you know, uh, for example, uh, if employers want to require their employees to be vaccinated or something like that, that's perfectly sure. consistent with libertarian principles. Nothing wrong with that. So it depends on what kind of restriction or regulation you're talking about. I think for the most part, typically the government has a role in in setting basic safety standards. And if that means requiring greater safety standards in the time of pandemic than otherwise, I'm okay with that in principle. Whether they actually work or not is a different question, and the answer is probably What about the businesses can't be closed down? I know it didn't do in Arizona, but it just seems in retrospect now... You know, people would have made the decision on their own to not go the, to the exactly. to the barber yeah, shop, yeah. and maybe the barber shop would have closed down because they didn't have enough business to stay open. But that and, seems like a better we way. We know that that's true. We know that's true because in a lot of places, when the when the shutdowns were lifted, the businesses did not go back to full. People still didn't come to the businesses because a lot of people were choosing on their own to stay home rather than go to the business, and that's perfectly legitimate. And the businesses then have a pressure to come up with safer ways to operate, which is how the market ought to work. So. In the long run, yes, I don't think that those kinds of, of government interference were very effective, and they, they probably transgressed libertarian principles. To innovate, not regulate. Final thought for me, very briefly, Tim, someday we ought to have a talk about how, uh, you know, the the realities of an equity society where the government picks winners and losers, assigns rights based on historical wrongs, the rest of it, what that would actually look at it, look like at the legislative level, the lobbyist level, that sort of thing. But we're totally out of time. Tim Sandifer, Vice President for Litigation, Goldwater Institute. Tim, thanks a million. Always a pleasure. Thanks, guys. Uh, we got more on the way. Stay with us. Text line 415-295-KFTC. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. 
Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Elevation with Stephen Furtick podcast was created with you in mind. This is a podcast for those feeling discouraged or needing guidance from God. Together in this podcast, we'll dive deep into scripture, uncover the powerful truths that will help you rise above your limitations and embrace your full potential. We're here to equip you with the tools you need to conquer life's challenges. Listen to Elevation with Stephen Furtick every Sunday and Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 